Today's passage comes from Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the world to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Sohi. As, uh, as she said earlier, um, past, both Pastor Eric's are away today, so you get a little bit of the B team, uh, but I'm, I'm grateful to get to be here, to get to share God's word with you, and to get to, in some ways, as a community um, with myself as part of that, get to talk through here as we get to the end of the letter of Colossians, get to talk through some of these issues of how these rich theological truths about Christ as first um, impact the way that we uh, act and behave as a community. Um, So let me start by praying together. Father, thank you so much for the way that you've been at work in our community, the way that you're shaping us through Christ. Thank you for his transforming grace in our lives. We pray that you would continue to make us more like him as we interact with the world around us. We pray that you would be with us now as we look at your word. Pray that you would speak through me. And we pray that your spirit would be transforming us even today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever seen those bumper stickers on cars that say mystery spot? I've been uh, commuting back and forth to to Biola um, for the last two years and I've often seen that sticker. I had no, no idea what it meant. And so this last week, I got curious, and I went online and checked it out, and it turns out that the mystery spot is this tourist um, attraction up in uh, Santa Cruz. Has anybody ever been there to the mystery spot? So yes. All right. And uh, in the back, Scott. Um, so apparently, um, back in the, in the 30s, um, there was... Forgive me, this thing's... I'll try not to move it. Um, Back in the 30s, there was an entrepreneur by the name of Prather, and he was um, hiking up a hill. It was a really steep hill, and he got really dizzy and disoriented, and he was curious about why that happened, and so he went back, and this time he had a compass with him. He was looking at the compass. He felt this, this dizziness again on the steep hill. And the compass, I guess, was kind of going buggy. And so he thought, there's something, there's something to this. So he bought the property, and he uh, built a house on it, kind of on the slant, this 20-degree slant, um, and, and started you know, charging money so that people could come and, and uh, walk and kind of feel this disorientation, this dizziness. And apparently, you can kind of like lean crazily, and with the ocular uh, illusions, your eyes see the house all slanted, it, it looks like, like gravity is just totally being defied, and like um, water can roll, uh, flows upwards, balls roll upwards in this house, and so in many ways, um, yeah, the, the, the laws of nature seem to be overturned, gravity seems to be defied, it, it kind of sounds interesting to me, it sounds mysterious. Um, and uh, this morning, you'll see I've, I've titled the sermon, People of the Mystery, and that's drawing on language from our passage. Um, 
that uh, where Paul says that he is he's bound he has an obligation to proclaim the mystery sorry this thing is uh, I'm having a little trouble with do you mind if I switch over to the the handheld mic would that be all right up there would that be okay guys I'm gonna do that because I didn't okay can you hear me now all right, hopefully that one won't, won't get in trouble. Okay, so um, Paul talks about this idea of the mystery, and um, in some ways, um, yeah, the, the idea of a mystery is something that can't be explained, it's something that, that um, you can't always understand it, um, and so when, uh, it, it's a great description of, of really the work of Christ and uh, the effects of that work. Uh, because it's something that is it is beyond what we can even grasp. It, it draws us to wonder. It draws us to um, be amazed as many of the songs that we sing about God's grace. Um, and I realize that in our passage this morning, the reference to the mystery, it's sort of in passing. Because Paul, what he says is he's, he, he's bound, he's obligated to speak the mystery of Christ. And in some ways, it just sort of stands in as a, um, as a stand-in for the gospel message, where he says that in other places of, of Scripture, that he has to proclaim the gospel. So why does he say mystery here? In some ways, it's a little bit of an offhand reference. But on the other hand, if um, we've been paying attention as we've been reading through these chapters of Colossians together as a community, the mystery of Christ uh, has been an important theme throughout the letter. Um, and so much of, uh, much of what the, the theology of Christ as first in the community of believers revolves around this idea of, of, of the mystery of what Christ has done. And so what, what I'm going to be doing in our, in our time this morning is actually um, going back and reminding us as a community what Paul has said about the mystery of Christ. And so some of those passages are written out even in the bulletins for you for reference. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about those and starting off by talking about what is this mystery and this mysterious work of God in us uh, that he's started in Christ. Um, and that after um, going over that again, then we're going to look at here at the end in chapter 4 how that mysterious reality impacts the, the church's prayer, their practice, and their proclamation. It impacts the way that they talk to God, the way that we talk to God, the way that we interact with others, and the way that we talk with our neighbors and our coworkers in our lives. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning. So first, let me take a little time to just talk, uh, refer back to these earlier passages, talking about the mystery of Christ. Um, so Paul first talks about the mystery back in chapter 1, and you have these verses, uh, verses 27, uh, 26 to 27 on your, uh, in your bulletin. Um, so there, it's uh, in, in, after talking about the exaltation of Christ, his, his place as preeminent in the world in the Christ hymn, Paul begins to describe his own ministry practice. Um, and it's primarily one of proclamation about the mystery. Paul says that God has, um, has kept this mystery hidden in the past, but now in Christ it's been revealed, it's been made public, displayed for all to see. It's interesting because um, a mystery is primarily something that can't be explained, but Paul, when he's talking about the mystery, seems to be very um, engaged with the idea of explaining it, making it known, making it revealed. Um, and so it seems to be the opposite of what we know of a mystery in our world. Um, I was thinking about this in reference to actually a conversation I had with Kevin Brandon a few weeks back. We were at their house for a lunch, and um, their third daughter um, wanted to show a, a, a magic trick that she had been working on, a card trick. And so she did the trick for me with Kevin and her dad, and um, afterwards uh, I, I asked, well, how did you do it? And of course, Kevin rightly answered, well, I can't reveal that. A magician never reveals his tricks. 
Um, and, and I was thinking about that in reference to this mystery idea of Christ. And for, for magicians, um, the, the power is in the secret. It's in not making it known. But um, the, the opposite seems to be true for Paul, that the power of the mystery of Christ actually comes through when it is proclaimed, when it is made known, when it is made public for all to see. Um, and so that's what Paul is, that's what he's about in his ministry, is making this mystery known. So let's think about what is this mystery? What's the rich mystery that God has made known in Christ? Well, we see it there in verse 127. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The wonder and the mystery of the gospel is that God has come into man, that Christ is dwelling with us. Paul has been adamant throughout the letter that Christ is, that that all of God's fullness dwells in Christ. And so this statement about the mystery that Christ is with us means that all of God's fullness, all of God's divinity has come down into our world, into our frail and broken and transitory world. God is invading us and drawing himself to us, drawing us to himself. That this is the mystery of Christ. It's no, that that, um, the, the hope of God's glorious presence among us is now open and available to all. It's no longer um, locked away with only one ethnic people group. It's now opened to all nations, all peoples, all those who draw near to Christ in faith. Um, And so the mystery of Christ that Paul wants to proclaim is the mystery of Christ in us. God with man, divine power overcoming human frailty. So the mystery is Christ with us. But the flip side of this wonderful mystery, this mysterious reality of Christ in us, is the equally wonderful and equally mysterious reality of us in him. So we've got the mystery on the one hand is Christ with us. It's God in his fullness dwelling in our world. But the other side of it is us in him. And so this is, comes out of uh, those, those verses that you have on your, in your bulletin there in chapter 3 that... Um, um, in, in these verses, Paul says um, that, that we have died, we've been raised with Christ, um, and he calls, Paul calls us to direct our gaze upward to heavenly things, since that is where Christ has taken us through our participation in the resurrection of Christ. Um, and uh, so, so what's going on here is that Paul doesn't just call... Um, it, it, well, one thing I do want to say is that the word mystery doesn't show up in those verses in chapter 3, but Paul does talk about the idea of hiddenness. He talks about our lives being hidden with Christ in God. And so just as God in his fullness is dwelling with us, just as Christ in us is part of the mystery, so there's an equally opposite reality of us being in Christ, us being drawn up to, to dwell in heaven with him. And it's this mystery that forms the core reality that God has revealed to the world in Christ. The mystery is Christ in us and us in Christ. Um, And so Christ's preeminence, his being first, allows him to accomplish this beyond belief task of being the intermediary between our world and heaven. Christ is the bridge. He's the the reason that we can engage with God. Um, he's, He's with us here on earth and we're with him in heaven. As people of the mystery, it's as if we live in a dual reality. 
um, that we are at the same time simultaneously dwelling here, um, you know, interacting with people in, on a normal worldly basis, but at the very same time, Paul reminds us of the truth that, that, it, that, that is the reality that we experience in Christ is that we are raised with him. We, we tap into a heavenly reality as well. I was thinking of a way to kind of um, illustrate this, and the first thing I thought of was uh, um, the way that, that many superheroes have an alter ego, don't they? Right? So, you know, you've got mild-mannered Clark Kent, um, the, the, the reporter who goes around doing his newspaper duties, when all along, he, he's, uh, he's, in fact, Superman. He has these, these uh, superhuman powers, um, and that both of these things are true of him at the same time, and that's, that's what I want us to, to, to realize, that this mystery of Christ, of Christ in us, and us in Christ, means that at the same time, we are both human and interacting in our world, but also experiencing God's power in us and, uh, and us in him. So, um, yeah, the, we too experience a double identity, a double reality, and we're not to neglect the one for the sake of the other. Um, you know, we're to be seeking the things of heaven primarily in how heaven should guide and direct our lives, uh, but at the same time, we shouldn't be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that phrase? Um, you know, really what it is is we should be so heavenly-minded that we're earthly good, that, that our heavenly focus, our um, being, uh, being shaped by the reality of our identity of who we are in heaven with Christ now, that should shape everything that we do in our world down here, and that should actually propel us outward into the world and in order to be making a change for the gospel and for Christ. Um, so we're experiencing this double reality, um, and, uh, and, and this is what allows us as a church to make an impact in the world. This is, so this is the, the rich theology that Paul's been developing all throughout the letter so far, the mystery of Christ in us and us in Christ. And so now as we, as we get to the, uh, the, the last uh, chapter of the letter, as we start thinking about, as Paul starts to think about how does the community of Christ, the community that has experienced this mystery, live out in their interactions? How do we live as people in, in, in this world? Um, there, there are three things that I want to draw our attention to. I mentioned it before, that, that the mystery should shape our prayer, the mystery should shape our practice, and the mystery should shape our proclamation. I realize that in the bulletin I've got three Ds, and I'll get to those, but I'll start with three Ps for now. Um, that, yeah, prayer, practice, and proclamation. Um, so first of all, though, let's, let's look at this, this idea of prayer. So this mystery has been one of the primary themes of the letter that Paul writes to the believers. And uh, now as he comes to the close of his letter, as he does in many of his letters, he turns to some uh, maybe more general, um, general uh, co commands or general exhortations. Um, and, but it's, these, these commands are primarily shaped around the mystery, as I said before, of Christ in us and us in Christ. So the first activity to which Paul exhorts believers is that of devoting themselves to prayer. And in this, I see ourselves being devoted to the mystery. Um, you see what I did there? Devoted to the mystery, devoted to prayer. <laughs> um, so to being devoted to prayer is being devoted to the mystery because um, as one theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, has said, prayer is the supreme instance of the hidden character of the Christian life. I'll say that again. Prayer is the supreme instance of the hidden character of the Christian life. That as, as Christians, there's this, there's this hidden uh, reality about who we are, that we are hidden uh, with Christ in God, 
Um, and prayer is, is sort of the way in which we, we tap into that heavenly reality. Prayer becomes the way that the, the, the natural outflow of our, of our heavenly identity. It's the way that we speak to God and we, we call him, we invite him into, into our worldly life, into the way that we interact with the people around us. Um, so, so uh, you know, on the one hand, prayer becomes the bridge, the way that we tap into our, our heavenly reality and the way that we draw that heavenly reality into um, how we act and how we, how we behave in, in, in this life. Now, um, Paul does say that, that to call the community to a devotion. And I want to just say at the front hand that um, prayer is not easy. Um, it's, it's not something that comes... Um, easy to, to, to us in the faith, and, and I'll be the first to admit that, that I struggle with this. Prayer is hard. It's hard to, to kind of turn away from the things that are going on, the, busy, the busyness in our lives, and to remind ourselves that we are, in fact, citizens of heaven, that we, that we have our identity with Christ in, in God in heaven. It's not easy, um, and, you know, I find myself devoted to many things, uh, whether it's uh, whether it's music, whether it's fun, whether it's food, family, whether or or maybe it's soccer. If any of you guys are walking, watching the the World Cup right now, there are many things in this world to draw our devotion. And Paul, actually, the way he phrases this um, this this command, he doesn't. Um, the command is not to to devote yourselves. The command is to devote yourselves to prayer. Um, and I think what he's doing here is, is just tapping into a reality that, that, that all of us are going to be devoted to something in our lives. That's just natural to who we are as humans. But what Paul is saying is take that natural inclination to devote yourself to something and latch it onto the heavenly reality of God through prayer. It's to prayer that you should devote yourselves. Um, and, and one of the important things that happens when we devote ourselves to prayer is that it begins to, to shape our, our desires and our affections. Um, another uh, Christian theologian said this about prayer. He said, by prayer, we preserve a sense and a taste of heavenly things in our minds. Um, that oftentimes, uh, I don't know if you've felt this, but, but you know, when you get caught up in the busyness of this world, it becomes all that you think about, it becomes all that you desire, and it becomes everything that you're, that, that you're focused on. Um, and so when you're able to, to, to kind of reset yourself back towards God and reset yourself and, and, and tear yourself away from what you're seeing, focusing on who you are, your identity in Christ, um, that that begins to now shape what you think about and what you, what, what you desire. It shapes your affections. It shapes your emotions. Um, and it brings you back into, into a new center of, of, of reality. Um, and so, yeah, th this, this call to devotion to prayer is, is the first aspect. Another thing that he adds, that Paul adds to this here, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, um, being alert in it with thanksgiving. Um, and I really am, am grateful that Paul included that little, that second element of it, because as I said, prayer can sometimes be difficult. It can be difficult and like kind of sit there and you think, well, what should I be doing right now? Um, you know, kind of, and uh, Thanksgiving is, for me, um, I found it to be a, a really helpful point of entry into prayer that, um, you know, as I said, where, where it can be sometimes hard to think about what we should be praying it's pretty, it's pretty easily, it's pretty accessible to, to sit down and think about things that you're thankful for. 
um, for God in your life. And Paul has, has throughout this letter talked about this idea of thanksgiving as an important element, important aspect of the community of faith. And, and I think that it can be a very important tool in our prayer lives to start with prayer. I mean, start with uh, thanksgiving. Um, and we even see that, you know, with our kids. Uh, Lori and I have been trying to pray with them, and it's sometimes hard to get them to focus. And so one of the things you can latch on to is, is getting, getting them to think about things they're thankful for. And, um, and that's something that then becomes a way to start thinking about heavenly things, start thinking about how God has shaped, uh, has, has blessed us, and then start thinking about other ways which he might be at work in the world and start praying for those. Um, so devotion to prayer is, is, is the first aspect of, of this, this life of mystery, this life of, of uh, this experience and the reality of Christ in us and us in Christ. And one other last thing I want to say about prayer is that um, the way Paul talks about it, being devoted to prayer, um, that's actually the, the exact description that um, in the book of Acts that Luke gives us about the early church. The very first thing, that the way that he describes um, the, the community after Jesus rises and goes to heaven is that the community is gathered together, devoting, devoting themselves to prayer. Um, and then if you, if you know the story of the book of Acts and all the amazing miracles that happened, all of the, 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 the preaching, all of the, the ways in which God's kingdom advanced in the, the early church community, that was all fueled by, fr- by prayer. So prayer uh, primarily propels uh, the church's practice and proclamation. Um, and and, and this, is, this is absolutely essential for, for us as a community. If here at Trinity, if we're going to be a church that's going to have an impact for, for the kingdom and the world around us, it has to start with our praying, both individually and as a community. So, so the first element of, of being people the mystery is that we're devoted to the mystery. Um, now, the, the second element of, of uh, being people of the mystery, I'm going to call being defined by the mystery, being defined by the mystery. So notice how Paul, um, it, after his more general admonition that believers devote themselves to prayer, he then slides into a little more focused direction for the praying. He says, pray also for me so that um, I could have an opportunity to speak, to speak the mystery of Christ. Paul's concern is that the mystery might be made public, made known, able to be seen by others. Um, and this, this amounts to Paul's obligation. Um, I was trying to, to, to see it in, in the translation we have here in the uh, Christian Standard Version. It, it, uh, it talks about in verses 4 and 6 um, what Paul should do and what the believers should do. Do you see that, that, that word there um, that Paul says, as I should and how you should? And, and really, I see that, that as the, the, the obligations that arise out of being the people of God. So being people of the mystery brings with it responsibilities. It brings with it obligations. There are now ways in which you should be living differently. You should be doing things. Um, and this is something that both needs to impact the way that you're perceived by others and the way that you talk to others. Um, and so, so this, this element of external perception as well as speech are, are very important. I'm going to start with the first. Being defined by the mystery means the way that people perceive you, they perceive you as being characterized by this mystery, this mysterious reality of Christ in you and you in Christ. So for Paul, the, what, what I'm seeing here is he says that he's in chains uh, on behalf of the gospel. Uh, well, sorry, on behalf of the mystery. Let me be, be specific here. He says he wants to speak the mystery on behalf of which I am in chains. Um, and so for Paul, it's, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, 
of course, he's per perceived to be all about this mystery of Christ. I mean, that's why he's in prison. He has, uh, he's been characterized by this and, they've, and therefore been thrown in prison on its behalf. And now, for us as a community of faith who are experiencing Christ in us and us in Christ, um, may, we, we may, maybe we're not going to be thrown in prison for it, but it's still important that when people see us and when they think of us, what they think of and what they perceive are people that are um, characterized by this reality, this dual reality of Christ in us and us in Christ. Um, and and it, should, it should evoke bewilderment in the people around us because just as for Paul, um, the, his commitment to preaching Christ was was just seen as ridiculous, seen as crazy. I mean, here's a guy who um, had a great pedigree, a great upbringing, had plenty of status in the, in the Jewish faith, no, no real problems with the, you know, the Roman establishment. And for him to just abandon all of that, to walk away from it and, and start now proclaiming this upstart uh, uh, revolutionary Christ as king um, and then be thrown in prison for it, 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 I'm sure it struck many as, as just ludicrous. Um, and, and there are many ways in which the mystery of Christ should do that for us as a community, should, should, should make our lives in some ways a mystery to those around us, uh, something that's, that's bewildering. Um, and there's a quote that, that I included in your um, opening, uh, the, the, the reflection quotes there on page one, from uh, this, this cardinal, Cardinal Emmanuel Suhart. I want to read that quote for you and then uh, talk about it just for a minute. Um, so Cardinal Emmanuel Suhart writes that to be a witness does not consist in engaging in propaganda nor even in stirring people up, but in being a living mystery it means to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. And that, that seems to be very important for us as people of the mystery, that, that this truth, this reality of Christ in us and us in Christ should actually impact and be visible, uh, impact the way that we make decisions and should be visible, perceptible to the people around us. And I was trying to think of some, some kind of more practical ways in which this happens uh, for us. For Paul, it was clear. He, he went out and proclaimed Jesus as king and he got thrown in prison. For us, um, it, maybe it's going gonna, it's gonna to shake out in the way that we make decisions about things. I was thinking maybe the way that we make decisions about our money for those of us who are people of the mystery, we handle our money differently than, than, than those outside the faith. Um, and, and I'm thinking here primarily of this crazy thing that we do called tithing. The fact that, you know, we would give 10% of everything that we make to the community of God's people. Um, I don't know if, if you've experienced this, but, but, but our, we as a family have experienced people sort of raise eyebrows at us for this. Like, why would you be doing that? I mean, for, for Lori and I, you know, we're, we're, we're not making tons of money. We're trying to pay off school debt. And so to be doing all that, but also to be giving 10% away, um, it's kind of crazy. And, uh, but, but really, when you think of it in light of those who have experienced the reality of Christ in us and us in Christ, um, we've, we've got a new set of priorities, and we see everything that's given to us, our money, as, as a gift from God, as something to be stewarded for his kingdom and for his purposes in the world, and, 
it's no longer about us, um, and therefore it impacts the way that we handle our money. It also impacts the way that we uh, handle our families, the way that we make choices as a family. Uh, I know in, in the Orange County uh, culture, oftentimes um, there's, a, there's a kind of selfishness in the way that families interact, you know, in terms of trying to find the safest schools for their kids, trying to find um, jobs where they can make the most money. Um, and and there's, a, there's an element to, to the motivation there is, is kind of having the best life possible. Um, and, and I wouldn't say that as believers we're called to just have the worst life possible, no. But the, 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 the primary motivation, the primary kind of organizing principle by which make, we make decisions has been shifted. Our center of gravity has been shifted. We are no longer self-autonomous individuals. Now we are those who share in Christ, and that has shifted things, and now Christ becomes the, the, the first thing that we focus on. Uh, one, one other uh, place in which this happens is, is the way that we make decisions about work. Um, I was thinking about um, something that, that I've always been very appreciative of, and my wife, Lori, even before I met her, she, she started um, pursuing a, a, a career in teaching, um, and she was very adamant from the start that she wanted to be able to teach in lower-income uh, districts, um, in, and so she chose to teach in Santa Ana. She's a great teacher. She could teach anywhere, but um, this choice to teach in Santa Ana is, is because, primarily, she can make a, uh, have more of an impact in interacting with those students there who don't often have the resources that others have. Um, and, uh, and so, f for her, it's, it's about, um, you know, how making a decision in light of Christ, um, not, not doing the thing that's easiest, uh, but because it's harder to teach in those districts, but doing that which is more important for the kingdom. And, and so these kinds of decisions that we make in life, and I'm sure there are many other ways that, that you may be able to think of things in which you're, you're, you're choosing things on the basis of different priorities and different principles. And that's, that's what it means to be defined by the mystery. It's not always going to be understandable to those who, who are not of the faith, but it's absolutely essential in order to, to live out this reality that Christ is, is in you and you are in Christ and therefore you're a different, different person. So, so we've got this shifted gravity. Paul also talks about, um, in, in addition to Paul saying that, that he's bound for the, gospel, for, for the mystery, he also um, then gives the exhortation that we're to walk in wisdom. Um, and, and again, I just want to kind of, before I move on to the, 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 the more uh, way in which we interact with others, there needs to be a wisdom in the way that we, that we interact with the world around us. But as I said before, it's not always an un, a wisdom that's understandable by, by the world uh, because the wisdom of Christ is foolishness often times to, to the world in which we live. Um, yeah, so in the way that we interact with the world around us, we are to, uh, we are, we're making public the secret that God has come down in Christ to our broken world in order to draw people up to the beauty of heaven. So we're people that are devoted to the mystery. We're people that are defined by the mystery. And thirdly, we are people that are declaring the mystery. So while it's true that our lives and our behavior can display the reality of Christ in us and us in Christ, that doesn't mean that verbal witness can be excluded. It's in our speech primarily that the mystery finds expression. And in so, we are faithfully declaring the mystery of Christ. So Paul speaks of our need to make the most of our interactions with those outside the church. Um, that is, after living in such a way that the difference is noticeable, it's, it's able to be perceived, we need to be ready to answer for that difference. Um, 
And, uh, you know, there may be some, what I do want to say at this moment um, that we've been talking through Colossians as a church, and at the end of Colossians, Paul gets to these exhortations to the community of faith, and I realize that a lot of these are, are kind of in-house discussions. These are, um, you know, ways in which the community of faith can interact with the world. Now, I realize that there may be some, you know, even with us joining with us today that, that haven't made that, that choice to join with Christ in faith, and I want to say that we are very glad that you're here with us. Maybe you're, you've, you're curious about this mystery that you've seen of Christ. Maybe you've seen it in people around you, something that has changed the way that they make decisions, and, and, you're, and you're curiously drawn to it. And I want to say that we're, we're glad that you're here. You may actually uh, be a bit surprised to find yourself in, in these verses when Paul talks about being wise in the way that we interact towards outsiders. Um, and that it's true. Um, there, there, there needs to be a distinction between those who have joined in faith to Christ and those who haven't. But I, I, in the way that, that, that the Christian community interacts towards outsiders, I, I do want you to hear that we're not just trying to put on a show to like trick you into the community of faith. No, no, we're trying to actually live out genuinely the, the, the difference that Christ has made in our lives in such a way that you can see it. Um, and in seeing it, um, perhaps you'll be drawn to it. Um, so that's, I think that's important to say. So now as we, as we think about declaring the mystery, I want to focus on two aspects. I think Paul uh, really wants us um, to be uh, um, declaring the mystery with an intentionality as well as uh, declaring the mystery with a specificity. So first of all, intentionality. You know, you, you see there in the verses that Paul talks about the idea of um, uh, not, you know, making the most of the time the idea is it's, a, it's an economic image. He talks about buying up the time. Um, and, uh, and so I, I get here the, the picture of an individual, who, uh, of an investor, who's watching, you know, just kind of scouring the stock market, waiting for the right time to buy in um, and, and not wanting to miss out. Um, and so there's an element in that image of, of anxiousness, like there's an anxiety, you don't want to miss out. But on the other hand, there's also a patient watchfulness, um, and that, you know, you, you don't want to do it too quick, um, and you just, you want to be wise in, in terms of waiting for the right time. And this is important, I think, in the way that we as believers interact towards those who, um, those who are outside the faith. We shouldn't be, you know, kind of breathing down their necks, waiting to pounce on them with this message of Christ. Instead, what we should be doing is interacting with them in such a way that, that we get to know them and we get to know um, what questions they have. Notice in the, the last verse, what Paul says is um, that we're to, um, we're to oh, give me one second here, <laughs> um, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Um, and so th that, that, that idea of answering, um, oh, sorry, I, I, I skipped ahead. I'll, I'll talk about specificity in a second. Let me keep, keep on with talking about intentionality. We need to be intentional. We need to be living our lives in such a way that, that there's a noticeable difference um, and that we need to be intentional, looking for the opportunities when people start to raise their eyebrows about the differences in our lives and start to have questions about the way that we're living. We need to be ready in those moments, ready to, to share why it is that we're, we're making these decisions that are so, so foolish, perhaps, in their eyes. But, but, but we need to be ready to be able to explain why, in fact, it is wisdom if, indeed, Christ has come down into our world and has drawn us to himself. 
Um, and so that, that need, we need to be intentional. We need to be ready and looking for those opportunities in, in, a, patient, uh, in a patient way. We also need to be um, sp specific, though, and this is where that, that, that last line about knowing how to answer each one. Um, I, I just, as I was looking at that, the, the each one really stood out to me. The, 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 the way that we declare the mystery is not just some sort of general, like, bullhorn out to everybody out there, blast them all with the same message. No, no, we, we need to be able to know the people that we're interacting with. Um, and we need to know what questions they have. We need to see them not as faceless entities, but as individuals, as humans that God has made, who have uh, inclinations, who have, who have hopes and dreams, and, and really getting to hear those, and then, and then sensing how we can speak into it with the mystery of Christ. So there's an important element of specificity that I think is required in, in our declaring of the gospel. Um, and uh, the other element that, that I think is important about this each one aspect of declaring the gospel, declaring the mystery, is that, um, is, is that God's plan for, for whatever reason, he's chosen to, to do this, this um, you know, declaring of the mystery, declaring of the gospel in a one-to-one -one method. And so I, I was really struck by this, um, this poem that I have also in the Reflections quote from one of my favorite authors, George MacDonald, who puts puts the idea in this way. He, he talks about the healing virtue of the gospel flowing from heart to heart, from these that know thee still infecting those. So he says, from these that know thee still infecting those. God has chosen to use us individuals to be the means through which the gospel flows into others. Um, I was, uh, Lori and I were, were really racking our brains to try and come up with an image of this because I, I just, I knew there has to be a zombie movie out there that, that shows this idea of the cure, the antidote, being needing to be passed from one person to the next to the next rather than just kind of spread out to everybody. And, and we just couldn't come up with it. So just picture in some ways a, a, a zombie apocalypse in which, you know, you're, you're being inundated uh, with, with the bad guys and there's this one cure and it just needs to get passed, but instead of it being able to be shipped out to everybody, it has to just move from one person to the next. And that's, that's the image of, 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 of uh, declaring the mystery that I see going on in this passage. passage. It's moving from one person to the next to the next as, as we interact and answer each one, each person that we're interacting with in our lives, whether it be family, whether it be co-workers or neighbors. We're, we're getting to know them. We're getting to hear their, their, uh, their questions. They're seeing in our lives the difference that the mystery of Christ has made, and then we're speaking into that. So now, in closing, uh, let me just say that the power of the gospel is that God is using us, his church, frail as we are, to spread the mystery of his kingdom. It's the mystery of God with man, of Christ in us and us in Christ. Um, as Bonhoeffer says, again in the reflection quotes, we are witnesses in that all we have to do is simply not get in the way. Not provide an offense, but rather make room for the gospel in the world. And speech can be the conduit for this. Our lifestyle, our behavior, our decision-making can be the conduit. Both of which spring from a commitment to prayer that is safeguarded by thanksgiving. And in this way, more and more of our world will come to know the mystery that Christ is first, preeminent over both his church and the world that he's redeeming. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have broken into our world through Christ, 
that mysteriously, wondrously, amazingly, you have come down to dwell in us and not to just leave us here, but to draw us back to yourself in heaven, that you have raised us with Christ, that our reality is now shaped by him and by who he is as first in the world. We pray that we as a community here at Trinity would be, would be shaped and transformed by this mystery of Christ in us and us in Christ. We pray that you would, you would draw us to yourself through prayer. We pray that you would help us as we interact and, and make decisions in our world, that it would be uh, perceptible to the ones around us, that they would see you in us. And we pray that you would help give our speech grace as we interact with our co-workers and our, and our friends and our family and drawing them to yourself. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.